This podcast is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, as we are clamping down in Australia, particularly on even harsher quarantine zones, the international border lockdown has happened, the local state border lockdown has happened, and COVID-19 is just not slowing down fast enough. So catering companies like Bella Catering have flipped into home delivery. If you guys go to bellacatering.com.au, you can find an insane array of beautiful home cooked meals that can be delivered to your door. They are still an essential service. Why go out and brave shopping centers with absolute crazy people who want to sneeze coronavirus right into your face? Why not just stay online and order delicious catering from bellacatering.com.au? Glenn, Maria, the team, they're absolutely fantastic. Get onto their website right now. I definitely highly recommend the look of the butter chicken and the individualized $4 cheesecakes. Do it right now. You have to. And now, onto the show. The following is an excerpt from the tracking board review of the post by my guest, Drew McQueen. Credit the script by Liz Hanna and Joss Singer for finding the right way to tell this story. And here's where that double feature idea might pay off some unexpected dividends. For much of my life, All the President's Men has been accepted as a film canon, one of the greats. One of my favourite books about filmmaking is William Goldman's Adventures in the Screen Trade, which turns the making of that film into mythology. Looking at the film today, it is almost breathtaking how completely Catherine Graham was cut out of the story being told despite her real-life prominence. I would never call Goldman or Alan J. Pakula sexist, but their telling of that particular story erased a prominent player completely. serves as a very pointed remedy to that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me for the 27th minute, of Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece written by Oscar winner William Goldman and crafted in front of the camera and behind the camera by a legendary Robert Redford is someone I'm a huge fan of. Uh, they've been writing for more than 20 years uh, on the internet, which, I mean, is like equivalent to dog years, is basically like 140 years of a career um it really started you know the only other equivalent person i've ever spoken to is like garth franklin and dark horizons and both of these guys have been doing it for so long it's just utterly incredible this person's insight and just boundless um sort of understanding and articulation of films is just so impressive and his latest venture, uh, you know, you might know little things like, you know, this movie sites that change the world, like Ain't It Cool News, or, you know, you might know him as Moriarty or Drew at Hit Fix, etc. But very recently, he expanded his um, his life into a, a blog, a blog, a newsletter, a, a site, whatever the hell that we want to classify it as these days, an online, uh, a patch online called Formerly Dangerous. And as he was kicking up and drumming up subscriptions to this incredible service after these beautiful and languid, long, insightful pieces, he, he wrote a little newsletter to people who had subscribed. One of them had been myself and said, what kind of other pieces do you guys like? Like, have you liked what you've seen so far? And I remember responding. I don't know if you ever read it. I just said, more of this. Ladies and oh, gentlemen, thank you, man. that is my guest, Mr. Drew McQueenie. Drew, thank you so much for being a part of all the President's Minutes. 
Thank you very much for having me. And oh my gosh, uh, after that intro introduction, I am uh, just here to say thank you and goodbye. <laughs> and that was awesome. Um, yeah, thanks. You are. Uh, more yeah, I, I. So I was going to say, I, yeah, like I've been around for for long enough that um, it's amazing to me to see somebody do something new. And one of the things I love about your podcasts and about the way you approach these films minute by minute is it is a very different way to have a conversation about a movie. Yes. And anytime somebody comes up with a new way to do that, I, I'm excited. And it's been a lot of fun to listen to the people that you've had on and to hear how uh, they've reacted to the, it, it breaks your mind of the regular formatting of these conversations. And it, it's led to some really great film conversation that you guys have put out. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Look, yeah, I was lucky enough uh, to talk to Drew's uh, producer, Bobby Roberts, several times on One Heat Minute, um, and uh, he's popped up uh, now and then in other projects as well. But yeah, look, it's, you know, the original guys, the ur text of the Minute podcast of the Star Wars Minute guys, and I just, I don't know, I found that uh, th that sort of team, uh, they sort of had a team of folks, the same team, tackling every minute and what I found deeply enriching about this and I think what Travis on Increment Vice has, has found in, in, in that show is we just love to be challenged by different voices um, and different insights and when you've just got this beautiful little platter if you like of uh, different taste you know it's like a tasting plate of the whole movie little moments little scenes I think it's just when you can laser focus in on something it just helps you have a portal into it and um, and a portal into the people that we're talking about you know talking to so I've had a real good time and thank you for that lovely compliment but look let's I mean the first thing I, I have been doing on all the president's minutes unlike one heat minute because heat is this you know, more more enduring crime classic, you know, has has a lot of like sort of more of like a universal quality. This film is anchored into history. Um, and yeah. so we've been talking a lot about, you know, politics and things like that, political fuckery in Australia, uh, American political issues, challenges. And we've literally come through maybe, you know, I just want to mention it because people who are listening to this probably a few weeks after it's happened, I just feel like maybe the 11th slash 12th of March, depending on where you were in the world, might be one of the biggest news days that ever happened and i just feel like maybe we yeah, should just quickly put that really, out on front street <laughs> it's funny because the watching this movie about watergate yesterday um gave me some hope because it also came right as i was seeing the news about harvey weinstein yes. and the 23 year sentence and you do hope that every now and then they catch the rat fuckers and they actually punish them and there's something great about that balance spinning in the right direction but boy it's rare and that's one of the reasons that these stories resonate is when you do catch somebody that powerful, somebody who is so flagrantly unafraid, um, it feels earth shaking. It feels like you've shifted the paradigm in some way. Yes. Uh, my very first political memories, the very first thing I remember, uh, the word politics even is Watergate unfolding on television when I was a child. And seeing testimony and having that word be in the paper every day. And it was this omnipresent thing that I didn't understand, but I knew it was happening. I knew yes. there was something called Watergate going on and it was changing things. <laughs> yes. So it's interesting to grow up in the shadow of that. I've never really lived in a world where we believed in institutions or trusted our presidents or had <laughs> faith that they were taking care of us uh, from day one. The, the idea was very clear. The, the president can be a liar. These people can be 
in it for their own thing. And it's it's a weird way to grow up. And then, of course, my kids are all post 9-11 kids and they've yes. grown up in a very weird, different political shadow. And so, yeah, I it this movie is a big movie for me, um, both as, as as somebody who's worked as a journalist and also just in terms of the way these events have shaped the world I've grown up in. It's it's incredible to think about that because that's what I think makes this entire period, that new Hollywood period, so rich as uh, as and and rich and reflective of the societal conflict between this sort of moral superiority of politics and once you've elected this person you you are you're imparting them a certain power and responsibility and they have the ethos and the ethics to undertake that responsibility in the right way and it's so funny that you say that is because like I definitely grew up in that post Watergate time too and and in Australia it was there was all sorts of weird political moves and things like that you know even our most progressive prime minister ever Gough Whitlam was sacked by the Queen's representative the governor general in the country uh, which is basically like an impeachment but much faster and one person decides actually two the Queen and that guy and so (laughs) it's 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 one of those things where you're like oh yeah Politics can just be plucked out if people make decisions. We don't, uh, I guess maybe in Oz we have a little bit more of like, oh, well, there's still that weird shit that, that like a queen can remove our prime minister if they want. Yeah. Like we've kind of got that weird thing. And then you get to the time, like I grew up my whole life in that moment. And then I think, you know, kids like us who grew grew up through that time then went into the post 9-11 world or, or watched it transition in the 9-11 world, maybe made it even like conspiracy theory movies just exploded because it just became this thing where like in the nineties, the conspiracy theory movie had softened because it was like, it was our culture. It was like, no, we know that people are corrupt. But then when it, you know, when it expanded in the post nine 11 world, it's like, Oh no, there's, there's um, an international web of corruption (laughs) and the corruption, the corrupt implications of uh, what is happening in our politics are resonating in other countries. And those people are are mad about it and they can come back. And attack us because of those things. It's a it's a really weird, it's a really weird genre, but a very fascinating genre to tackle um, to try and sort of understand what's happening in the world. Well, I'm always fascinated by the push and pull between corporate filmmaking and um, what is happening in the culture because I I think there's clearly money to be made by being very current and by plugging yourself into the zeitgeist and by making films that speak directly to what is happening to people in the world. There's also a real danger in that on a corporate level because you're committing to certain points of view and you're, and so the idea, and it always makes me laugh when I hear people talk about the liberal media. (laughs) So I think it's this weird misnomer. I think there are artists who are very liberal who work in the media. I think the media itself, the ownership and the power structure of the media is inherently corporate and and conservative as such. I think they will always default to the idea of the bottom line and what will or will not damage their money. Warner Brothers in the 70s, God bless them. They were a company that was built on risks and that the entire business plan was the more we empower filmmakers who have these points of view that we may not understand or even endorse, but that clearly are speaking to the culture right now, then the more we'll be rewarded. So there was this great sense of supporting artists that they didn't even really necessarily agree with. (laughs) I don't know that a movie like All the President's Men makes it through a studio 
structure today. And I know no people way. will point at Big Short or like what McKay does, like Vice, not the same thing. Because Vice, as much as I think Vice is an interesting attempt at trying to be very social and trying to point at what is happening and how power works, it's also somewhat toothless because it's removed from the moment. It is pointing at something that has already happened and that is over in in that particular case. I think all the president's men, the, the crazy thing that we just briefly touched upon before we started recording was when this was made. The fact that this was <laughs> unfolding as they're writing this movie, as they're putting this entire thing together, that it is still playing out legally, that there are still ripples from it that are happening in the culture right then. The balls it took to make this film and to make it with the clarity they did. I, I'm the, the, fascinated. It's those two things still stagger me. And every watch, like last night preparing to record today, I just sort of watched down minute a few times as I do. And, and, and for folks who listened before, I sort of watched the 10 minutes that lead up to it. And then about mm-hmm. the 10 minutes after. And so about 50- I was only going to watch from the beginning until our minute. And then of course I watched the entire rest <laughs> I was of the just film. Because say, why I, just, wouldn't you? I, I went straight past that minute. And then I was about 40 minutes down the line. I'm like, God damn it. I've got to go to sleep. Like I've got two kids. Yeah. I've got to go to sleep. I've got to, I've got to get to work tomorrow. I can't just stay up and watch all the presidents men again. Um, I could have, but you know, it's one of those things where I'm just staggered that, you know, Roger Ebert's review of all the presidents men is released on January 1st, 1976. So, Really, some media may have seen it in 1975. Obviously, it, it competes in the Oscars that year. But yeah. when you then dig into the story of how that actually works, it's like, well, no, they hadn't even published the book. They're still writing the stories in 72, 73. The book's not even published. Redford's encouraging them to make the book and, and to, to write the book and wants the option on it immediately. And concurrently, as they're constructing the book, Goldman's wrangling a script. So not only is it happening unfolding incredible amount of juggling it's to juggle that and then for it to be coherent and definitive is like unbelievable because even you know i think the closest comparison that we have and this is not in politics and maybe it's not not as not as much stakes for the responsibility of the the sort of uh how deliberately it needed to, to hit, like all the presidents, man. But say something like the social network, which is being made at the same time as being made while it's hot. People are going, what is this Facebook thing? In ref- On reflection, it's like you go, oh, that movie might not have gone far enough. Like, you know, I it, think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that that is that is a great contemporary comparison because it is something that was still happening and still pertinent and unfolding and is in some ways a direct cautionary fable being made yes. by the filmmakers saying, are you aware of what we've empowered? <laughs> yes. Are you aware of who this is that has the keys to the kingdom? And with all the president's men, I, I am always haunted by the very, very, very ending. Yes. By the footage of the inauguration and just the typing and yes. the sounds of the voices and the build of the cacophony. And that always gets me because we know we know where justice is going to land. We know that it's coming. But the idea that they're writing their asses off as he's being sworn <laughs> in, you realize what the stakes are. And they don't need to show you anything else from that point on because you know the work that they had to have done. But incredible filmmaking, an incredible place to to find that pin to put in at the end of a movie that is happening as you're writing it yeah. was uh, brilliant. 
There is. Um, a- I don't know that Goldman and Pecula ever, uh, either separately or uh, just as as artists. I don't know if they ever worked with that kind of fever heat again. Like Pecula is such a methodical, fascinating filmmaker to work under this kind of pressure and respond the way he did. I, I think it's one of his true high wire masterworks. Like he brought every A game he's ever brought to anything to make this movie. Yeah, I think the alchemy of this movie is insane. It's almost like, you know, sometimes, you know, you would know so much and be able to articulate this better than me, but there are some filmmakers... Sorry about that. Oh, that's my stupid alarm going off. I apologize. I'll start that again. Um, Some filmmakers are an engine. So that in and of themselves, they as an individual sort of auteur are kind of an engine and they have a team around them. But I just look at this movie and I go, there is so much peculiar in there, but then there's so much function in Goldman's script. And then there's so much Redford, I don't know, somehow joining those things. And then there's Willis that is doing his Willis thing. Willis is indispensable to this movie being what it is. Willis's work in this and his work in the 70s is defining. And (laughs) there's a reason that we we think of him as one of the great, great, great photographers. I get goosebumps thinking about his resume. I'm just like, what? What? But this this work, (laughs) to have taken this thing that is so so stolid in terms of what they're doing. They're at desks, they're writing stories, they're interviewing people on phones, they're sitting in living rooms. It's boring on top of boring (laughs) times boring. There is nothing about that that says drama, but visually he understands that the, that wrapping Washington in this encroaching darkness, this, this thing that's kind of always creeping in in the scenes where you're out in Washington, I think is really brilliant. And then the newsrooms are utterly pedestrian. He yes. doesn't try to soup it up. He doesn't try to make it cooler than it is. And in a way, that's what really makes it so visually dynamic is it is the nuts and bolts of the the forms they use to fill out their notes after phone calls. It's the technical like back and forth of how an office works. That's where Willis manages to make Pecula's work, he manages to elevate what Pecula is doing because Pecula has this very direct, very documentarian eye here. But Willis is photographing it with a painter's eye. So it's that meeting between them that somehow makes this visually arresting while it's mundane. It's, it, it is mundane in setting and in what is actually happening in front of the camera. It's, it takes such skill it takes such skill to to continue to find new and inventive without being showy ways of maintaining this um like maintaining this balance if you like mm-hmm. like maintaining the balance of exactly what you said which is like painterly because i think and this is a stupid example when i use it but i just always think about it as the worst possible example it's like george lucas make something like Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, one of those early prequel films. And in the action, he knows what to do. It's like he's got a very, he's got a great action orientation. He knows where to put the camera. He knows what, what he wants to be moving in the frame. But when he's having a dialogue scene, he literally doesn't know how to do... He doesn't know how to make anything electric. He doesn't know how right. to stage. And, and so he might have all the bells and whistles and flow around and spin around a room and, you know, you know be uh, having someone flying through the air as they're having a conversation, even though it's bland. 
But in this newsroom, it's actually all those things that you talked about. It's the elemental sort of engine stuff of typewriters clanging, phone books being you know swiped through, envelopes, lighting a cigarette, walking around here, going to a copy desk. It's that. It's the the, the little details of that machine happening and people being staged in ways that make sense. That it's very clean. And it allows them to project what they're feeling as opposed to like all this mess and noise that's happening around them and exposition dump after exposition dump. Like they just find new ways to uh, to make it so fascinating every single time. Well, and I think having somebody as brilliant as Willis and somebody who you know is lighting that set so that you've got that incredible – visual palette that he brings to to whether it's the stark whites in the newsroom or the way he plays with shadow in the meetings with deep throat or whether it's the pools of light in people's homes and the way he makes them feel like actual homes yes. not movie sets that have been overlit yes. um whatever that is knowing that you have the confidence willis is going to nail it visually then allows pecula to do what he does so well which is he is remarkable with actors he does yeah. these he is phenomenal at not just letting an actor build a scene, but at blocking the way those scenes work so that the actors, when they have their moments, when they have their big express, when they have to land something, when they have to really land a punch in a scene, Bikul is always in the right place. He's always yeah. either just close enough or he's far enough away to let you have your reaction or he he's never emotionally in the wrong place. And that is right in collaboration with Willis, but it's it's knowing your actors. It's knowing when you need to be close enough to them to see those those things and when you need to give them room to invite you in. Like he's brilliant at that. And with a great cameraman, you get that that one two punch of knowing how to block a scene and stage a scene and then wrapping it in the most beautiful paper there is. It's it's just it just shocks me. I just don't this is a movie that with all those pieces it's like if you take a piece out in this it it's unfathomable. Like that's that's it's this strange thing that this movie has that I don't think any other rarely movies that I find ever that you go if you just take this bit out it it doesn't work. The, whatever was well, going Goldman's, on whatever was going yeah, on needed that. You're you know Goldman and it's funny because my my Interest in and exposure to this film really started with Goldman because of Adventures in the Screen Trade. This yes. is, for those unfamiliar with the book, Adventures in the Screen Trade was for many years basically the best book about what it felt like to not write a screenplay, but to work in the commercial Hollywood system as a screenwriter. Yes. Because it was far more about the politics and the dynamics and about assuaging movie star egos and about how to balance what a director wants and needs versus what your movie star wants and needs versus what you as a writer think you want and need. Like those were things I would have never even thought to consider as a no. young writer. You just think, I'll write a script. Then they'll take it and they'll say it. And they'll, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, if you want to understand what it was really like in the seventies for a writer William Goldman's the guy because he he was able to articulate it without burning bridges, but also being very honest and very fair. I think he nails Hoffman and Redford's egos at points and definitely doesn't let them just walk away like, hey, every movie star is great and every experience with a movie star is great. He's very upfront about how demanding they are and how insane some of the requests seem 
because everybody in a film comes to it from their perspective of I am the most important piece. My thing that I need is the most important thing. And if I get it, the movie will work. And if I don't, the movie's a disaster. (laughs) And so that, all of those things, when you talk about a movie that one piece falls apart and it all falls apart, that's a lot of what Goldman's writing really articulated to me as as a young film fan was how fragile something like this is. Then you add in the legal aspects of they have to get all this right because they make stuff up and they get it wrong. They're going to get crucified. This is at a point where people are arguing about the details of Watergate every day, all day, (laughs) obsessively. They can't budge anything in this movie. They have to be right. And I think that's an unbelievable pressure to be under. So that book was my introduction to what this was and what that process was like. So then over the years, becoming fascinated, I've always, the way my film fandom worked is I went through waves where individual people would be what I would be interested in. So I came to it from William Goldman, had one experience with it. Then later I went through a Dustin Hoffman phase and I was like, okay, so I came back to it as a Dustin Hoffman fan. Then later my Robert Redford phase kicked in. Then later my Alan J. Pecula phase kicked And so each of these artists, when you come and you look at it from their perspective, you can see how clear their voice is expressed. I think Redford is all over this movie. And the guy that Redford became as producer, writer, as film festival programmer, as it's all in there. All of it is in all the president's men, like (laughs) the, the social activism of it, the artistry of it, the fact that it is both commercial and somehow independent minded. It's all of those things are the rest of Redford's career, like encapsulate. So I find it fascinating. This movie feels like any one of those people is the primary driver of the film. If you want to look at it through that prism, yet it is very clearly the collision of all of them. Yes. Um, As a Hoffman fan, this is one of my favorite Hoffman performances because it's all ticks. It's all little things. That you know he was in his head. Oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to drive Redford crazy. It's gonna be crazy. And you know like there's all these things that he's thinking about. And see, I love watching him when he's young because there's always a sense that he's gaming the scene a little bit. That there's a little bit of it that's like, yeah, but look at me. He's and there's put, a little bit of that in everything. That, what's Hoffman that baseball does? phrase? They say just a little shine on the ball. Like he's just doing a little he's bit. Just, he's just everything. putting a little, little shine in every single scene. Even if it's like, and ones that I love is when he's picking tobacco off his tongue. Like he does it, yeah. like just little, it's just that one little silly thing, that one last thing that he's doing. He's just everything, everything he's got. And there's a, 70s, there's a 70s ethos that I think bleeds into mistakes that aren't mistakes but that feel like they're an organic mistake uh redford at one point calls something out and it's the wrong thing and he corrects himself as he, and i forget yes. what it is but it's one of these yeah he, he just he fumbles goes, Does anyone else do anyone here speak english and then he goes oh no not english yeah, anyone else who speaks spanish and it's it's, and the, it's a great it. mistake it's a great mistake it's beautiful i love it and i love and there's something about the 70s that that was not just permitted but encouraged there was yes. a, a a rough hewn quality but in a movie this polished, it's clear that it's very thought about. So I, I love all of that. I love how that all balances. Well, we've got to dive into this minute. We're going to get let's do it. We're going to get some Hoffman, and we're going to dive in with Drew, who knows this perhaps in his bones at this point as a veteran of this industry is what it's like when someone 
is about to give you a story or at least gives you a chunk of a story and then completely denies and withholds that that story even exists. So we're going to watch yeah. this minute together right now and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Uh, I was just wondering if any, uh, if you have any books that could, hello. Yes, we're checking that information now. We'd just like to find out just what it was that Hunt did when he worked out as a White House consultant on the Pentagon Papers. Yes, I'd appreciate that if you could. Yes, sir. Thank you. Just got off the phone with the White House librarian. You want to look at the notes on it? Oh, this is some stuff in the Eisenhower campaign in 1952 that Hunt was connected with. Did you call the White House communications office? No, I just got off the phone with the librarian. Five two four seven four three. I know that number. Between the first and second quote, there is a complete contradiction. There's a space of about five seconds. My feeling is this all one conversation. This is Bob Woodward. I know the number. Yep, I know the number. I know the number. And I love that. I love that. The, I love in the early scenes they're beginning to collaborate. I love that, <laughs> that fussiness back and forth between them. I love that. That's how they meet. Is the the. I'm rewriting it. Uh, that's such an <laughs> insane way to sort of introduce yourself some, to somebody collaboratively. So yeah, there's it, and it to me it feels not just like the characters, but it also feels like the movie stars. Yes, and that subtext of that back and forth gamesmanship being both real and playing into Woodward and Bernstein's collaborative tension. Great, you can't you can't buy that. Like that no. is so wonderful, and, and, and it's a great choice. For Redford, who's crafting this movie, to go, I need a Hoffman. That's the only guy. That's I need someone who is going to come in and go, oh, you think you're a fucking movie star and try and come over the top. Like you, you need that that, and you need a guy who's like, you know, Hoffman's like the the method guy. He's the method in guy. He's so massive at this point in his career as well. So it's like they're doing two different things. Redford's still in the classical mode of the movie star and he's the method actor and you throw them together and the alchemy is, look, he's doing something more. He's diving into it more. He's immersing more. And it's just, no, they've just got different styles and the conflict is just a beautiful harmony. It's just so good in, in, in the way they execute it. Yeah. And I, this, th- I'm, I'm really glad that this is the minute that you, you brought to me. I, <laughs> I have been... Watching this this sequence, this whole thing go down, uh, it makes my stomach hurt. Oh my god, <laughs> it it's does. so frustrating. I bet you it it's does. so frustrating. <laughs> and you know, there are times where I, I, I've gotten stories in a million different ways. Sometimes you really dig for a story. Sometimes you you get a little thread of something and you want to follow it and you want to find the story and you call every person that might even be tangentially somehow connected to it, trying to find a crack to get in. Yes. And I've done plenty of that. And there, that's definitely one way to do it. I would say nine times out of 10, the ones that really have altered the course of things, the big ones that I've landed have been total accidents have been the weirdest sort of somebody said something and a piece of math in my head went click. And I went, Oh, I know what that means. Oh, (laughs) and I'll say something back and they'll be like, no, like you can't know that. Um, And I, I, that has happened enough times that it's, it, it's a remarkable feeling. And when you, when he's in the middle of that phone call and he gets what's happening 
and that they're closing ranks around the truth, that that they are starting to realize, oh, no, somebody's sniffing around the story. We got to make all this go away now. Um, it's it's a both a terrible feeling and a great feeling because you know you're on to something that's real when people start behaving like this. Um, I can tell you a story and I can leave out the names you but i can i don't i don't want you to say anything that's going to get you in trouble so if you accidentally slip we'll 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 make sure we we omit it but i i think it's a fascinating it's a it's a fascinating um it's a fascinating insight because i just want to touch on one thing before you get to your story which is the idea of the it is it is a symptom this tiny thing of closing ranks is such a symptom of the entire problem and that's what you yeah. just said. I loved how you described it. It's like something clicks in your brain and you're like, oh, that's what that means? And so that's really underscoring all this manic Hoffman energy right now, which is so beautifully articulated in his performance. It's just like there is some, they're closing ranks about something as innocuous as how many books they borrowed from the library. Something is really wrong because if they're or doing that. Or whether he's ever been to that library. Yes. You don't even know who he is. Now, come on. Come on. You can't go from, yeah, I'm pretty sure I loaned him that book <laughs> to, I don't know who that is. That's a crazy backpedal. Crazy. Um, and yeah, and sometimes it is that blatant. Uh, the example I'll give you is, I was one time taking a, uh, I was invited to a studio by the studio to meet with the, makers of an upcoming television show and it was a it was a group of us maybe five or six of us and uh they brought us into the main offices and we walked around for a little while and at one point i'm standing with another reporter and the two of us are talking and there's a stack of comic book graphic novel collections on the table and it's a particular series and it's every single one from that series start to finish and i'm like oh hey cool and i mentioned it to the other reporter That's why I remembered it, because we said something to each other about, oh, hey, look, I've read these. Do you like blah, blah, blah? That's all it was. It was that innocuous. So later on, we finish the tour. We go back. I go back and I start to write the story. And uh, I turn my story into my editor. And my editor asks me a couple of questions specifically about that detail. Oh, you mentioned blah, blah, blah being on that table. Are you sure about that? Because that's a pretty big deal since their television show is identical to that comic book series and not based on it. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't know what their show was at the time. So I didn't really get how (laughs) big a deal that was going to be, but yeah, those were there. Well, they've said they've never read them and that that's not right. And a studio would like you to take that completely out of your story. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And now you're bugging me because they, did have those books there and I can prove it. And I got the other reporter on the line and the other reporter was like, Oh yeah, we had that conversation. And yes, those books were there. At which point the studio said, if either one of you say that in print, our lawyers are ready to land on you. We will not only land on you, but we will land on your website. You will lose your jobs. Is it worth it to you? And I realized they were terrified of a lawsuit and were probably already dealing with legal stuff. And that what we had seen was inconvenient. It wasn't a huge story, but they started to make it one. Yes. And the more they dug their heels in, the more I said, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with any of this. So here's how we're going to handle this. I'm not writing anything about your show ever. I'm not ever going to mention your show. You've just killed any chance I'm ever <laughs> writing about you. Because if I write about you, I have to write what I know. So 
that's fine. I don't normally cover television. But it was a case of, I know something now. You know I know something now. And you're using legal threats to intimidate me. And it's, it's frankly, it's working. It's a case where <laughs> yes. I don't want to go up against a studio's entire legal department without more of a confirmation than one other person who I had that conversation with. The, it came down to, do you have a photo? Yeah. It's I like, said, of course not. It's I'm a, not taking a photo as I'm walking around someone's office because I wouldn't think to. No, well, you're not taking. You're you not taking. Print that. Yeah, you're not taking photos around an office with the intent yeah. that you're finding the story. You're there to write a story, and you were doing your due diligence. It's like, oh, you had a conversation. You mentioned it. That's just. Yeah, and it's and so it really became a case of unless you have a photo and you are willing to show us evidence that what you were saying is accurate, you can't say that in print, and. I've had pressure brought to bear on me in situations where I've printed the story because I knew legally I was Completely, free and clear. Yeah, free and clear. There are times I've printed information I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to print and have had and sort of have backed into, well, it's out there now. So what are you going to do about it? Yes. And then there are times where they have muscled me quiet. So it's I've gone through all of these. And in every case, the one thing that I will say is sacrosanct on my end, and I think this film gets into that, is that a source of mine is something that I would always protect. But when you stumble into something like this, there should never be fear about pursuing it because it's not like you're burning a source. He, that librarian wasn't a source. That was just a person he called who responded and answered a question. And he should absolutely follow and pursue and dig. And I love the way this film is honest about how for reporters, and especially back then when it, the internet wasn't there, there was no instant tool where you could just pull yeah. things up. So much of it was about that math of being able to make a connection between something that someone else might never notice. And if you can do that, you have the instinct for this job. That's why these guys, they weren't more brilliant than anybody else. They weren't more necessarily dogged than anybody else. They were in the right place and they connected dots that no one else saw. That's it, it's it's the instinct that makes you good at that job. And it's a real celebration, I think, in this film of how one little tiny thing can be the linchpin that an entire conspiracy stumbles under. And it's that what's so great in the reflection of how the scene is constructed and this entire sequence is you see how passive – you know, Hoffman's Bernstein is doing his due diligence. And we've seen a, a similar scene with Redford's Woodward just a couple of moments earlier, which is they're doing their due diligence and they're grinding and they're trying to find angles and calling different people just to hear if they can match responses in a way. Like you said, they're just sort of yeah. water testing. They're kind of like the kind of like the raptors in Jurassic Park. They're not going to the same part of the fence every time. You know, they're just sort of t testing th different things out. And what I love here is the complete, and it's a performative thing, and we sort of stumble into it right in the opening seconds of the minute that we're talking about, which is like Hoffman completely postures changed, huddled, hunched, scribbling, like his notes, as opposed to sort of passively typing away a few notes on the typewriter to get them down, because obviously they're translating a lot of their handwritten notes into type notes anyway. But yeah, he's got the scent. The scent Just a little that, bit like, of it. that like, I need to scribble this down way faster than I'm ever going to be able to type it. And I love that, like, yeah. sitting up and, and then the immediacy to stop asking questions. Stop talking. Let her just go, oh, and just have reactions to let her know you're there. But eke that last 
final bits of information out and by the time the sort of nail in the coffin in the conversation is done he starts to prompt another question when he feels like she's exhaustively kind of confessed to this like massive backflip um that it's just such a it's such a brilliant thing and i think it's really it's so funny that and i loved how you described it is that sometimes you don't you haven't seen what the story is just because you didn't have that additional piece of context yeah. and sometimes it's there. And then people go, why the hell did you print that? And you're like, that's a story? <laughs> like, I love that. It's like, that's the story? It was staring me right in my face and that was the story? Oh, well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. It's out there now. So I don't know what you need to do with that information, but you need to do something. You need to do something. So it's a really, really funny one. Yeah, I have. Um, I know one of the bigger scoops I ever had was a scoop where I was at a party and somebody mentioned something and they mentioned it in passing like, oh, we're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, that's really cool. No big deal. Neat. Hey, this is happening. At which point an entire studio went, oh, God, no, you're not even supposed to know that's ex- that, that exists. And that, it's, <laughs> those moments as a, as a reporter are truly like, uh, I think, a little terrifying because you don't realize sometimes quite what you're putting your foot into. The stakes are very low, though, in the entertainment industry. Yes. Yeah. They're million dollar investments. Yes, they're movies and they're big marketing campaigns. And sometimes I've screwed those up for people. But the stakes are still low in terms of the impact on the world. Um, the balancing act that guys like Bernstein and Woodward are doing at the moment they're doing it everything hinges on those connections and on those feelings and those instincts. And it's really, to me, the, the reason I I find the film heroic is these guys change the way, like I said, I view the presidency for my entire life um, by simply following those tiny threads. That's, so powerful to me and it is one of the things that throughout my career i because i didn't mean to do any of this i i was a screenwriter (laughs) and i was working and i backed into my reporting career simply by being a loudmouth who (laughs) realized the internet was a way to be louder so um it, it was never like my intention but i have over time really come to see this as a responsibility and you affect people's lives and there are things you do and realizing that on my scale, on the scale of what I do, um, has only made it more impressive to me the importance of what genuine investigative reporters do and how crucial their work is here and around the world. Um, I, Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, as people, they both you know, are, are fairly normal, flawed, decent occasionally not decent guys as they got older (laughs) but they they did something truly extraordinary with the reporting they did and um it's it it is a powerful reminder of how power exists in shadows power exists in secret power is really only power as long as we don't know the way it works um yes it's it's an it's an important film to go back to now. I think it can feel impossible sometimes that the world will ever change, and it can feel apocalyptic sometimes. And it can it, it there's so much anxiety, free floating anxiety right now about who's <laughs> oh, in yeah, charge. Don't of things, worry about how things are going to do. Don't worry about a coronavirus test. You can get that anxiety anywhere. Yeah. That anxiety is just 
on tap. It's, it's on your phone. It's, it's, a, it's in your email. It's, it's in the, and I, it's and with I your do colleagues. Think it's important to remember that, that these two guys like, and, and this power system at the, at the paper, that this was what unraveled what should have been impossible for anybody to unravel. Like I am sure there was a point right before the Watergate burglaries where it was just chugging along and the guys behind all this Haldeman and Nixon and all these, they were like, man, we figured it out. Bowling. This machine's going to run forever. Our enemies are toast. <laughs> this is it. And would have never expected the way things went down. Would have never expected that paper to be able to pull those things apart the way they did. Um, I, I really am blown away by, by what this film captures and by what I think it says about what we can still do. I think a perfect way to almost end is that. And I just love to echo your sentiments of when even Woodward and Bernstein were coming to approach their story being told, all the president's men. Um, the folklore is that they were trying to keep it very fact-based and trying to elevate and illuminate the characters in all these threads and these tendrils that they pulled. And I think that what happened in both Redford's advice as a as a film producer and a storyteller and then Goldman's you know, mastery of understanding of how to construct these characters. Like, no, you guys are the story. Like what you did is the story. That's how people, that's, that, that is our access into this. It's through you. It's how you tenaciously pulled on those threads and found things that were weird and incongruous and just triggered these like little trapdoors in your mind. Like, how does that work? And why is that the case? You guys are the story. So, and how did you, and how were you able to follow it? I love the, the ways they are, when they talk to the various people that talk to to collect dots, like uh, the way Redford, various women that Redford calls or that, uh, Hoffman calls the relationships and backstories that are suggested in just the little exchanges between these women and these guys. Awesome. Awesome. And it is so real. And it's the way DC works because everybody slept with everybody and everybody (laughs) kind of knows everybody's business. And you hear things while you're pillow talking that you probably shouldn't hear. And I love that that's all in there and not downplayed, but also not done wrong and not treated like a, like a weird ethical point. Like it's so honest about how human beings work within this larger system and how they, the, the things that make you human are the reasons they were so good at that job. It's those connections, those things that you heard, those incongruities. That's, wonderful man drew mcweeney it is absolutely a pleasure to talk to you on this show thank you so much for being thank a part you for of having it. me uh, I, if, yeah, if I, I have one deep regret it's that i never got you around for a one heat minute but there's always a bonus episode threatened uh, and being threatened on the show uh, every now and then just to uh to, to tantalize i might throw that at the end of this just as a little caveat just maybe one day in the future there might be a minute we can get you back on to talk about heat but it's been an absolute pleasure um to talk to you about this film and to to hear your insights always 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 um amazing and incredible and articulate thank you so much Thank you. Thank you for having me. Like, good to meet you, man. That was the incredible Drew McWeeny. You can find him best on Twitter at Drew McWeeny. 
M-C-W-E-E-N-Y. You can find all of his stuff at drewmcweeny.substack.com. That is where the Formerly Dangerous blog and uh, and site now exists and lives. So it is a must-subscribe, uh, a whole stack of free stuff. But if you do have 7 bucks a month, um, an, an incredible array and a great community of people all interacting with Drew. So um, I would strongly recommend that. And if you've got a little bit of cash right now and you can spare it, absolutely do that uh, at this time because everyone um, is in need. So if, uh, if you find comfort in this great content then absolutely uh put your hand in your pocket if you can do it this has been another one heat minute production thank you so much for listening along we have an amazing array of shows one heat minute obviously the last 12 minutes of the mohicans increment vice josie and the podcasts all the president's minutes which you're listening to today and our daily podcast con tan gen which is a tight 10 talking to a whole stack of folks in isolation in quarantine sort of accounting for in this community everything that's going down listen along to that daily we're going to have great shows coming up for you some unannounced stuff which we are going to announce to tease for the future but if you want to support us we do have a patreon and you can find links to that on oneheatminute.com If you want to go to our site, oneheatminute.com or incrementvice.com, you can find out more about the shows. And if you want to go to graffitiwithpunctuation.com, you can read about Contention and our upcoming six-part limited series, Josie and the Podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much. Subscribe, rate, review, share. Thanks so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.